0: Did you guys all have a good holiday? Everybody have a good 4th? Yeah? I I know we did. We had a blast. Uh, But you know, this weekend, this long weekend that we're celebrating as a nation uh, is about so much more than than hot dogs and cookouts and and fireworks. The 4th of July is about a people and a country founded, rooted, and established on Christian principles and on reliance on Almighty God. You know, Patrick Henry of the uh, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death fame said, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. George Washington, our first president, said, While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the high duty of religion. And to the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was a signatory of the Declaration of Independence and a ratifier of the Constitution, proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rule for just conduct in every situation of life. Happy are they who are enabled to obey them in all situations. And and that particular thought I thought was a a great introduction and a good launching point for our Psalm text today in our continuing look through the book of Psalms that we began way back on Psalm 1 and brings us today to Psalm 101. A Psalm which is really a, a prayer intended to be prayed by and for people in places of government to give them clear and godly direction for the nation that they lead as they carry out their responsibilities and their duties Uh, and it's one that's equally valuable for the people living under their authority for us uh, as well as a call to live obedient lives ourselves uh, seeking to serve God and country as together uh, we're called to help accomplish his purpose in this world and to live lives that are pleasing to him and so I'm going to invite you to join in with our, our psalm text today in Psalm 101. This is another psalm of David. It's actually superscribed a superscribe of psalm of David. And David writes, "I will sing of the steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. When will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house." I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your scripture declares that the entrance of your word brings light and so... We ask you to come now and illumine all of the dark places and dark corners of our hearts. Drive out the shadows of our complacency in hearing sermons and our our laziness in listening to your word week after week. But Father, take these, these next brief moments and anoint them to your purpose and to a people that you're calling to yourself, that these words spoken and the message heard may glorify Christ our Savior and grow his kingdom until he comes again. Amen. So, you know, in, uh, uh, in looking at Psalm 101, commentators have noticed what a, a good prayer it is to pray for all sorts of leaders in, in our society, and what a good prayer for ourselves and the responsibilities that we have, whether it's in our, our families or at work uh, or here in the fellowship of God's people, a prayer that, that begins with the twin characteristics of God's truth and justice that, if you remember, have really f- featured so prominently and so frequently In our last few messages and those characteristics of God we're told today are not only to be sung out loud in worship but they're to be lived out loud David says be lived out loud by any that would be used of God in places of authority whatever that place would be now of course in the original context of the psalm, those applied to the role of the monarch right to the to the king to the the man who was the ultimate authority over the whole government of the nation of Israel. But, you know, if we could take and and extrapolate those concepts and that sound advice from Psalm 101, we could really put it to work for ourselves as citizens in 21st century America because at least for now, at least for now, we still have a government in which supreme power and ultimate sovereignty is still vested in we the people, right? Uh, And so instead of of getting woke, as, as they say, Uh, We as a nation need to be reawakened to our godly foundations, uh, the foundations of our forefathers and and our pilgrim founders. Because as I said in the opening, uh, despite what modern politicians or, or the contemporary media or revisionist historians would tell you, America was founded not on the concept to worship any god, but on the freedom to worship Jesus Christ according to the word of God and not according to man's word. And today, uh, what I want to do is is kind of look at the parallels between our founding fathers' allegiance to this country and and theirs and our allegiance to a higher calling and to the kingdom of the Lamb, to Jesus Christ, the the Son of God. Because, you know, as with all the other Old Testament psalms we've been looking at, uh, our psalm today, even as it speaks of the duties of earthly kings like David and of the responsibilities of people, it really points beyond all of that to the kingdom that's coming, right? And to David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who continually calls out to us, both individually and corporately, to, in the words of Psalm 101 that we read, to ponder the way that is blameless. To ponder the way that's blameless. In other words, we're to be thinking and and striving and even more to be longing to live a life God's way. And when we do that, we'll finally realize that we can't do it on our own. And then we'll be able to pray with David today in essence. Lord, when are you going to come? Uh, how long before you show up And what's going on with me? Because, you know, Father, I'm doing the best I can. But, but now with your help, I finally realize it's, it's not good enough. I'm not going to make it on my own. Not, not because I'm on this low self-esteem kick. But because in reading your word, I know now how to rightly esteem you, Lord. And it lets me realize that a life of integrity and of increasing sanctification is impossible without the power of the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit to achieve it. But, you know, that's that's an answer that is so often and so easily missed in our American culture uh, and in the advice from pulpits because we've somehow come to believe that if you try to correct someone or if you call out bad behavior or if you point out sin that you hate that person or or, or that you hate that group or or that you're intolerant or that you're you're a racist or that you're going to make people feel downtrodden and and ashamed and and depressed and not valued. But brothers and sisters, that's a false equivalency. Uh, There is a better and more powerful middle ground to be had here for our nation and for our people and for our personal lives. Uh, And and for people that are are maybe having a reaction to hearing strong preaching or or biblical exposition Uh, And and it's this it's actually a quote in the words of G.K. Chesterton uh, And I love this quote. He says you have to hate something enough to want to change it And yet love it enough to think it's worth changing Right think about that for a minute You have to hate something enough to want to change it But love it enough to think it's worth changing right and that goes for ourselves as well as for our country because just just because i preach against sin doesn't mean i hate people because i'm a sinner too Uh, and just because you may know that you need to make some changes in your life maybe serious changes it doesn't make you worthless and just because together we call our nation to holiness doesn't mean we should run around hating america right That's why Chesterton went on to say, uh, my country, right or wrong, is a thing no patriot would ever think of saying, except in a desperate case, because he said, that's like saying my grandmother, drunk or sober, (laughs) right? And and the point he's making is, we always want to expect the highest ideals of ourselves and and of our country, Uh, just like David was praying today, but we have to see things as they really are. And we have to call on God to correct them without resorting to a wholesale destruction of our culture in the process. Or without giving in to the the leftist contempt or even worse, their utter hatred for this nation. Uh, Or to the elitist indifference to our American exceptionalism. And and until we do that, we're never going to answer all of those pressing questions that seem to be tearing our nation apart at the seams right now. Uh, And we're never going to understand the why that things are the way they are and and you know that if if you get anything out of the the news or or watching all the things that are going on in the world uh, that little three-letter word why is kind of writ large across it today isn't it like why is there so much hatred Uh, why is there so much anger why is there so much crime why so much violence why is there so much poverty uh, in an age of prosperity and why are so many people filled with so much fear of the future that they're willing to tear down the past and stick their collective heads in the sand and snatch onto easy answers and, and progressive political movements, whether they make any sense or not, whether they offer any lasting solutions, and honestly, usually cause more questions than they actually answer. Uh, until finally, you know, people either just want to forget everything and and turn to, to sex or drugs or alcohol or rejecting the divine guardrails of God's holy word, and and they just end up fighting against anything that looks like a moral framework or a Christian history. And it's really one that they don't even begin to understand before they start to reject it. But, but if we are willing, if we are, you and I are willing to look at Psalm 101 today, it gives us the answer to all of those questions of why and it traces them right back to the rebellion and unrest uh, and, and what Psalm 101 calls the absence of integrity that already exists inside my heart and your heart, in the human heart, right? I know it's there. You, you guys know it's there. It's the why that we pursue all those other things, those worthless things, David called them today. And we do it to drown out those, those relentless thoughts and those feelings. That we just don't know what to do with if we try to live our lives without God If we try to live our lives in the absence of a moral framework because when you do that You know the hard questions of our existence and and the conundrums of how to live with other people never stop coming, do they? It's always something And I want you to really note the progression of how david said it went in this psalm If you if you go back and just skim over it, right? He started out with talking about a perverse heart on the inside that, that leads to secret slander of other people. That leads to a haughty look. And then uttering outright lies. And then it leads people to create a wicked land all around us. Right? You see, it moves from the unrest on the inside to, to forment defiance and then give birth to full-scale rebellion. And so what starts out as, as just private thoughts leads to, to gossip and, and loose talk that devolves into defiance And it results in outright revolt. A full-on revolt against the Lord and against other people and against His Anointed One because, brothers and sisters, sooner or later, all these questions that we're wrestling with come back to Jesus and to God's Word. right? And they come back to our Father who's someday going to enthrone His Christ as ruler over the nations. And in light of that, Psalm 101 declares the only proper response to His coming again is humble submission by the power of the Holy Spirit to Him right now and a bold declaration of our allegiance to Him into the future. You know, uh, more than 14 months after the, the Battle of Lexington and Concord, it was with April of 1775, the, the, the patriots were still fighting, not necessarily for their complete independence, but rather they were still kind of fighting for their rights within the British Empire by that point. Rights that had been gradually taken away before and, and even more after the Boston Tea Party until eventually hundreds of Americans gave their lives to regain them. Four four hundred actually died alone at the Battle of Bunker Hill. Then in early in seventeen seventy six at a meeting of the Continental Congress on july second, the colonies voted to publicly announce and declare that they would accept nothing less than absolute freedom from England. Two days later, on July 4th, after making some minor adjustments to the text, the final wording was ratified by 56 members of Congress representing 13 colonies. Uh, and after the declaration was signed, couriers took copies of it to George Washington, who was with his troops in New York. And then on July 9th, he had the Declaration of Independence read before the militia who were out in the field. And guys, this was no little thing. This, is, this wasn't just a scrap of governmental memoranda that showed up understand this was a bold declaration this was a profound statement for this tiny band of little americans to challenge the most powerful empire on earth at the time and they had pledged their lives and their honor and their treasure and their allegiance to their new nation and because of that those men paid a very high price politically and financially and personally but they endured it all because if they had just made a professed commitment, would that have been enough? Because right? remember, after we declared our independence, we still had to reach out and take a hold of it. And the task proved to be especially difficult because not all of the people ever fully united behind the war effort. A, a large number, some scholars estimate, maybe about a third of the population remained unconcerned about the outcome of the war. Uh, And in their selfish indifference, they actually supported neither side, and you can imagine, like people do today, they just kind of waited to see who was going to win. And so that victory in the Revolutionary War came to depend upon patriots who made up significantly less than the entire population, and I tell you that because that is exactly the same condition that the body of Christ is in today in our battle for the soul of America. You know, it's one thing to make a really bold declaration here in the comfort of this church building. But it's quite another to live it out. Uh, it's quite another to pay the price, to fulfill it on the battlegrounds of our daily lives. You know, say saying the words is the easy part. It's the taking action that's harder. Uh, especially in this politically correct culture where the church has gone from loving the hurting and, and healing the sick and, and holding out a message of hope to sinners in Christ... To, to offering a counterfeit message that says you know, you're know, you okay and, and I'm okay and God doesn't really care anyway uh, come on now guys God just loves you just how you are right and Pam and I were talking about this you mentioned that at Bible study uh, and that is true but the larger truth is he loves you way too much to leave you unchanged and, and if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to really just just think about this for a second If God loves us just the way we are, if He's never angry with sin, if we can all just live out our self-determined choices, then what in the world do we need Jesus for? Right? What do we need Jesus for? What was the point of the cross? What was the point of Christ coming to identify Himself with our infirmities and dying for us? But brothers and sisters, it's because God is holy and we're not. But He desires for us to be, except the trouble is we really don't want to be. Right? I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Right? We, we all want to be part of the crowd. It's easier and, and not to be thought of as, as old fuddy-duddies or too fanatical or, or too radical in our obedience as Christians. And so we have allowed things like traditional marriage to be redefined so that now open relationships and and unashamed adultery and same-sex unions have become a common reality in America. And so the culture now promotes promiscuity while the church just stands on the sidelines. Right? Our, our culture laughs at infidelity. As a people, we welcome degrading pornography into our home computers and our cell phones. We mock those who uphold traditional values. And at the same time, we enshrine the rebels of Hollywood who sleep around and call it freedom. Freedom. Uh, And and hey, it's really no problem for them because if they end up with an inconvenient pregnancy on their hands, one simple outpatient procedure can get rid of that long before the weekend comes around again. Right? And it happens even today in, in Christian circles because the truth is just like in the revolutionary days, not everyone is committed to the war effort. Not everyone who's claimed to have claimed Jesus as their Lord has lived up to that declaration in their daily lives. Uh, and if they were honest, are not really all that concerned about the outcome of the war on Christians and on our Christian values. They're, they're indifferent. They're unresolved. And, and they may not hinder the war effort, and they'd be glad to take part in any benefits that are won through it, but they won't leave the comfort and safety uh, of their anonymity. They just simply watch from the sidelines and critique the battles. But brothers and sisters, a day is coming, David said today, when our God will be cutting off all the evildoers from the city of of the Lord. That day is coming. And and our founding fathers knew that even if 21st century Americans have forgotten it. Uh, Or maybe just have never been taught that. You know, the trouble is, as one author put it, that we've been educated just enough to believe what we're told, but not educated enough to question it. And that's why the country is in the state it's in. But church, God has blessed our new nation in the past because it was founded on Christian principles, not because we ran from them. And so that's why in 1835, after uh, having spent nine months traveling the United States and collecting information on American society and and culture, the French uh, historian and political scientist Alexis de Tocqueville published a book called On Democracy in America. And if you haven't read it, I I recommend it to you. This is what he said. He said, I sought for the greatness of the United States and her vast harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests, but the glory was not there. He said, I sought for it in her rich mines, her massive world commerce, her public school system, and her institutions of higher learning, but the glory was not there. He said, I looked for it in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, and it was not there. He said, no, it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her genius and power. Could he write that today? Today when our country is throwing away the power of righteousness with both hands, belittling our religious liberties that Americans have defended since the fledgling days of our democracy, and ignoring the fact that our Christian heritage is a sacred inheritance from our ancestors. And brothers and sisters, we can't let that happen. Uh, We have to today, as David said, stop clinging to the perverse things of this world and be willing to destroy all the wicked in the land. Not not through violence, not by self-righteousness, not by putting people down and and hating on them, but by pulling people up and, and holding out our hands and preaching reunion with Christ and restoration with each other in the midst of this crazy, fallen world that is slowly dying all around us. And the only legitimate, lasting, logical way to do that is through an intimate relationship with God the Father, through the sinless, substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross, who, who took onto and into Himself all of the sins of all of His people, and who now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, credits all of that perfect righteousness to those that are His. And, and so as I, I close and, and we head to the table, what I want to say to you in light of Psalm 101 and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the words of the Apostle Paul uh, is all of this, all, all of our, our land and our nation and our people and our faith, all of it is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For he made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God through Christ. And as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God said, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And so, as a church and as a nation, let us lift up Jesus as the only hope of the world. And let's invite those who who oppose him to to put down their weapons and join us in the great celebration of God's Son, our, our anointed and coming King Jesus Christ, helping us to know that he alone is our refuge for this nation and for the world. Uh, And brothers and sisters, ultimately, no matter who holds political power in the marble halls of Washington or the ravaged streets of Seattle and and Minnesota or even the mayor's office here in Zephyr Hills, Jesus Christ is still our risen, conquering king. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, be here freely to worship you. Father God, it's, it's truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, but especially uh, in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, and asking you by the joy of his resurrection and an expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. So come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place and in this time that eyes may be opened that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal for us may be a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.